Well, let me pray. Hello to everybody out there in the lounge as well. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. In these next few moments, we ask as you have already been uh, ministering to us that, that we would continue just to receive, Father, from you. And we pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds because other than that, it, it, nothing makes much sense. So we invite you to come and to speak for your humble servant, trusting that I bring and carry your heart today. Everyone said, Amen. The title of this message is, What About You? What About You? It's interesting that when you look into the Gospels, there's a, around about 340 questions that Jesus asked. Jesus liked to ask questions. He liked to challenge people, liked to provide stories, antidotes, pictures of someone walking down a road or a farmer. He just loved to pull all these things together. But when you're following Jesus a little bit more closely, there's a different take on things, there's a different perspective, there's a different insight. We're going to look at that just the next few moments. So we're not going to look so much at Ephesians today, we're going to continue that uh, in the next couple of weeks, because next week we have, we're going to be graced and blessed. Uh, having Stephen Preston speak with us. So that's going to be wonderful. So I won't be speaking then, but certainly the week after we're going to continue with, and a lot of what Kristen had mentioned in Second Corinthians there, I think that's going to be uh, really a sense of God just uh, expanding and opening our hearts and minds. We live in a time where we are saturated with information. Education is the big word right now. Talk with people all around the place. It's all about do this, get that, achieve this. The internet is changing our world quicker than we can believe. It's changing our behaviours, our wants, our drives, our desires. And you say, well, I don't have the internet. It doesn't change me. It's changing society. You're impacted. You're, you're brought along for the ride if you like it or not. It's the way of the world. I'm not saying I'm happy with it, that's the way it is. Employment structures are changing, unschooling is changing, education, health systems are changing. We have phones and iPads, and I have a phone right here now. I have a iPad here too, I have both, so I'm a little greedy right now, apologies. We, just, we have such easy access to the internet. We have almost any type of information accessible around the world. It's a little scary. We also have to admit that we have information overload. And it can be hard to uh, understand that this younger generation to switch off, maybe for you. They say the average person spends five hours a day on their phone. And I say, Lord, I don't want to be that person. I use it and I need it as a necessity, but I don't want this thing to control my life. So we've got a, an understanding of a new nuance of responsibility. One may ask, is life what happens to you or what happens inside of you? I think the latter. 
Now we see a picture where in Matthew 16, we're going to go to that in a minute, where Jesus is back in a known territory. Caesarea Philippi. And it's an interesting environment because it wasn't overly occupied by Jews, but more Greeks and Romans. And he dares to ask a question to his disciples almost in this very hostile environment. But it didn't deter Jesus. He wasn't bothered by that. He'd asked the question. He led the way. And so the title of his message I said is, what about you? When Jesus asks you the question, what are you going to do? It's interesting that teachers, particularly his colour, or even if they were educated, would tend to ask rhetorical questions, questions that maybe make a point, create a dramatic effect rather than actually expecting an answer. But not in this case. And we're going to have a look at that right now in Matthew 16. If you can join with me, Matthew 16. Verse 13. And when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? It's an interesting question. So, and in fact, it's actually bizarre. Surely, Jesus, you've been walking with the disciples. Surely you've been living day in, day out with each other. You've been in each other's company. Whatever they heard, you would have heard. Surely. But he wants to know. He wants to provoke and he wants to get a response. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and still others, even Jeremiah, one of the prophets. In verse 15, Jesus says, what about you? You're hearing all this stuff, but what do you believe? More importantly, who do you believe that I really am? In verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of of the living God. In verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my, by my Father in heaven. Verse 18, And I will tell you, Peter, that on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Wow, that's powerful praying. Gee, I won't be in that prayer meeting. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell, he ordered. There's not too many times you see Jesus order people not to say something. He says, don't you say a word. He ordered his disciples to not tell anyone that he was the Messiah. It's almost like, what was that for then? You've asked us what are people saying, we've told you what people are saying, and now we can't say anything. It's now been confirmed, you've agreed, we've got this. This is an amazing chapter. It begins where people, this generation, they're looking for signs. And Jesus was miffed. He said, I've had enough of this generation. You want a sign of Jonah, you want a sign of this, you want a sign, stop looking for signs. Stop being busy doing all that stuff. 
Don't you know that the Messiah is here? I'm sure he's thinking, oh Lord, Father God. When Jesus said, blessed are you, he's talking about you are empowered to prosper. Peter, I think you're fine. Who's, who's texting me now? Someone's texting me. Probably one of the children. Spiritual well-being and prosperity is included in this blessing. Jesus asked it and it's a very important question. Don't fall in love with doing. Fall in love with Jesus. And sometimes we just need to fall in love with Jesus again and again and again. Certainly why we understand Jesus was gaining notoriety around the country. He was still unknown in certain quarters. Who do they say I am? What are you guys hearing? But you know what? I don't think it was really about what they were hearing. He's asking, what do you hear in here? Well, some say John the Baptist in, the, in that current day, John the Baptist came before as a forerunner. He was a, he was a preacher of righteousness. So you're a preacher of righteousness. Or Elijah, he was a great prophet and a worker of miracles. So you're a worker of miracles. It's almost like they're guessing. Maybe he's a little bit of all of these. Or maybe you're Jeremiah who prophesied judgment, known as the weeping prophet. Or maybe one of the other prophets and Jesus goes, we need to bring this back home. What you say matters. What you say matters. Verse 16, you are the Messiah for Christ, the anointed one. You are the Son of God. We don't read verse 21, but here in verse 21 of this passage of Matthew 16, it shifts. Where they've been enjoying the ministry and the life and learning and watching and observing. Now it shifts. Jesus starts to now prepare them. Why he answered, hence why the question. He now prepares them to get ready because I'm now, I'm now this prophet. I'm now this teacher in your mind. I'm now the Messiah, the Son of God. But now you need to realise something. I'm now going to step in, become the suffering servant. Peter had the answer, but it wasn't his own understanding. It was born out of something much richer. So we get this picture of Jesus and the disciples and they're spending time together. They're watching, as I said, they're observing, they're listening, holding their breath, what's going to happen here? He stopped because someone touched his hem. Everyone touched you, Jesus. They're watching this, they're seeing Jesus in real time. Been amazing. Amazing experience. They were obeying, they were doing, they were walking, they were talking. They were being educated. Something was missing. That's why the question. That's what happens a little bit later on. 
Jesus was setting this up for as a precedent. Just because you're with me, just because you know who I am, may not change anything. What happens a little bit later on? One betrays him, a disciple who lived with Jesus every day betrays him. Another denies him. Another's hid behind closed doors when the heat was turned on. So education really doesn't help in this context. It doesn't work. It highlights how Christianity can be an ugly religion when it is defined only by education and knowledge. Because clearly it didn't work and nor should it. To live an empowered life for Jesus will take more than just simple knowledge. Demons have knowledge. In Luke 4, 40, look at this. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, laying hands on them, and each one of them, he healed them. Verse 41, moreover, the demons came out of many shouting, you are the son of God. So Jesus is asking the disciples, who do people say I am? Well, even the demons, he didn't, they should have said the demons in that list. The demons tell us. The people here, the demons will say, you are the son of God. So education is not it. I know I've just finished a graduate certificate in leadership and we're all after education, but education in itself is not it. It's a good thing to say no. But it's not the only thing. It's part of the journey. Please hear my heart with this. The religious leaders of the day knew Jesus, trying to trap him in Matthew 25, sorry, 22, 15. We know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Are you kidding me? So the demons will declare that Jesus is the Son of God the religious teachers, the professors of the day, the most educated elite in society would say that we even know there is something special about you, Jesus. But. Here are a couple of thoughts for you. Number one, this passage teaches me that we need a revelation of Jesus, not in our head, but in our heart. How about you? You can read all the books and do all the study, but does it translate from here to here? He will puff you up. He will build you up. If my phone rings, I'll be very unhappy. We need a revelation of Jesus. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because it wasn't flesh and blood and it wasn't knowledge and it wasn't even education. But my father, my father revealed this to you. Take note, disciples. 
Now, we don't want to get into the debate of Peter's statement because this is where we get into the Catholic Church and the religion and the popes and everyone and building upon this. It wasn't a building upon Peter, the person or the personality. It was building upon the declaration of who Jesus was. We'll leave that for another day. See, the Christian life is not difficult, it's impossible. Jesus is the only man who lived it. And the only way we will ever live it is if he is living in you and me. That's why it doesn't make sense to some. What you give your attention to gets you. Whatever it is, it controls you. You will not get free from the thing that you focus on. So as I said last week, make Jesus your focus. Doesn't mean the problems go away, but Jesus, we filter everything through Jesus. We look to him, the song sang that. That's what we're singing. I'm sitting there going, these are beautiful songs. I said the Christian, I looked at the songs during the week and I just said, the Spirit of God is just moving and just reaffirming the, the thoughts and the words. The Sermon on the Mount, blessed be, is not really so much a sermon or a series of sermons, but a description of the life of Jesus. We're talking about spiritual maturity in Ephesians. Spirituality is not a teaching, but a person. And it is exactly Jesus. To be spiritual is to have exactly Jesus flowing through you. Living in you. Isn't this the story? Isn't this the message of the life in the vine? The life of the branch, it is not acting independent, but is acting not even like Jesus, but it's becoming exactly Jesus. We're not called to be like Jesus. We're called to allow Jesus to be exactly in us, in our living. That's a high calling for all of us. I feel like I miss that every day, but that's the call. We try and be like Jesus, we work it in our own strength and we fail. It's not what you can do that God wants, it's what you can't do that He wants. Only then does He activate, only then does He take that place. That's why when people are new Christians and they've been listening to works and I do this and do that and they come to Jesus and it's like, I just start by believing and trusting in Jesus. Do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? Unfortunately, we get so indoctrinated with, with church and religion that we set all these things up and all these barriers in the way. Really, all they need to know is see Jesus. Hunger after Jesus. That's all I've decided as, as a parent for my children in the life and all their battles and journeys. I want them to see Jesus. I want them to see Jesus in me. I want Jesus, the exact Jesus, to come out through me in my love, my leadership, in my life. And the same for them.
And what happens when we get revelation? It takes us to second point, number two. My only point, second, two points. Relationship. We need a relationship with Jesus. If there ever was a time in society, there are things moving very quickly globally right now. Maybe through the G7 and other organisations, there are some things that are really happening that we're really just, we talk about end times and the last days, but my goodness, they're happening even quicker. We can't even keep up. And what is important is not how much you know about end times or your understanding or your doctrines. Did you know Jesus? Did you live out of that revelation? And did you work that relationship in with him? I tell you, Peter, in verse 18, that on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. He's speaking about relationship. That the power comes out of relationship because of revelation, not through education. Learning how to abide in the vine. For some of you, this may be, might be a little different to what you have heard or thought over the years, but this is the challenge. Jesus is wooing his church back to a greater sense of intimacy. As we heard before in the songs and Gabe mentioned about this abiding. It's time to abide, not just as a song, but we choose to abide. That is the answer. That's, that's what Jesus wants. That's what he's looking for. The kingdom of God being made manifest in our lives. This is the lifelong Christian pursuit upon our confession of Jesus, the exactness of his being to radiate in our lives. We must first choose to believe that an intimate relationship with Jesus is possible before we enter into any type of relationship. This relationship is spiritual. This relationship is of the highest order. In Romans 10, 8 and 9 it says, but what does it say? The word is near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you're only halfway there. You have to choose to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Then you will be saved. In a few weeks, I'm going to speak about and cover a topic. It's not sin that stops you getting into heaven. It's something else. In two weeks, we're going to tackle that. We're going to go right in there. Because a lot of people don't realise what it is. So I encourage you to be in that sermon. I'm not going to even give you the answer until then. You have to wait for two weeks. So I'm going to preach it. God, give me a word for the church. There's so much blessing before us. There's so much favour before us. And we must desire this relationship with Jesus to be ultimate. We're so caught up with comfortable. 
We're so busy and it's happened before. We build things, we do things, we're busy, but what we need to be making sure is we're building in here. When I got saved, there was a picture of, of some pictures that I saw. One was this throne of, of a heart. There was two hearts. There was a heart where a person sat on and there was another heart of what happens when you become a Christian. It had like a throne on there. And that's where Jesus is meant to sit. And there was just a picture to say that you're on, you're on the throne, but he really needs to be on the throne. And it can only happen when we abide, when we choose him, when we live at a revelation. And from revelation, we have, revel we have relationship. And, and I could go on and talk about what happens from that, we rejoice. This was Peter's best and worst day. Think about it for a moment. Read the chapter later on, but Peter makes his great declaration. Oh, you are the son of the living God. Jesus, yeah, Peter, you need to know that you didn't get that from you and you didn't get that from me and hanging around, you got that from the Father. Could you imagine how Peter's like, yeah, I did, didn't I? Pretty cool. And the disciples, hey man, give us five, you're cool. Peter, you got a big mouth, but you always got the, you get the answers right, yay. High five, everyone. Let's do the wave. <laughs> Peter's feeling like, yeah, it's pretty good. And this rock is gonna be, ooh, I'm, I'm it, man, I'm it. It would have been, in that moment, it was Peter's best day. So his moment's like, what an honour. Wow. And in verse 21, Jesus starts to talk about, I'm going to become the suffering servant. It's going to change, fellas. It's going to be a little different. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. You're not going to like what you see. I'm not even going to like what I see. But I've got to do it. Peter says, no way, Lord, no, that's not going to happen. No way. He's holding on to his sword. That's not going to happen on my shift. And Jesus says to him, Peter, get behind me, Satan. What did Peter do? He went from revelation to education. Jesus said, Peter, you've got to get this. You've got to understand it's a different plan happening here. I feel for Peter in this because he had a wonderful moment and he ruined it <laughs> 10 minutes later. But it was a growing experience for him. And Jesus didn't want to let that go by. To live a life empowered for Jesus is not another formula or another insight or another book or another fad. It's simply Jesus. There is nothing that the nearness of Christ cannot overcome. There is nothing, think about right now, you, this is a, 
I want to, I should text this. There is nothing that the nearness of Christ cannot overcome. What's your battle right now? What's your challenge? What's your weight? What's your burden? What's your sorrow? What's your pain? What's your ache? What's your unknowing? Surrender it. I don't know, Lord. I just know that you are my Lord. The preacher once said this. He said that we, as Christians, we like to know everything. I like to tell God how it's going to be done. He said, congratulations, you've just become an unbeliever. We're not called to know everything, we're called to walk by faith. If we know everything, we don't need faith. If we lean on our own understanding, we don't need faith. And education, though it's great, hear me, it's important, should never be greater than revelation. And that comes when we abide. It comes when we choose to abide. That's what we take to heaven, not all the stuff. There is nothing that the nearness of Christ cannot overcome. I put that on your toilet door, put it in your hallway, put it in your car, a little card when you're driving, when you're bothered and when things become overwhelming and you're not sure what's going on and where is God in this and where are you, Jesus? And <gasps> there is nothing that the nearness of Christ cannot overcome. In John 17, 3, it speaks about this is eternal life that you may know me by personal intimacy. Relationship. Matthew 25, 41. We hear where Jesus says, depart from me in essence. I'm paraphrasing because I didn't know you. I've got a question for you. What do you think will break that relationship with Jesus in your life? What thing? What situation? Here's the thought. If you don't know what it is, how do you know you haven't already broken it? Relationship is our strongest position and is the most visible form of the church where the gates of hell will not prevail because Jesus turns up. Your relationship with Jesus exists in your heart, in your mind and in your spirit. It is the centre of all of our affection. But He must sit on the throne of our heart. And I've learned that in that place when he sits in the throne of my heart, I am most at peace. I am more filled with joy than anything this world could offer. I am most victorious when I'm not relying on this, but on this. And I'm surrendering to him.
I'm going to close. Today, if Jesus was asking you a question, what would your answer be? Do you know him as precious Saviour and Lord and King? Because I can tell you, friend, nothing else matters. Some of you who are older than me, you can get up here and you say that in all your journey and all your life and all your experiences, nothing else matters but Jesus. And when Jesus is at the centre, that's how we live the life he has called us to live. John 15, 5, it says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Don't try, he says. It'll burn up real quick. In Luke 12, 20, 21, it says, but God said to him, you fool, I will demand your life from you tonight. Now who will get what you've accumulated? The estate that you build up all these years, you work for this. And that's how it is when a person has mature riches, but is not rich in the relationship with me. That's Luke 12, 2021. God's word translation. So we need to remain in him. We understand the revelation that we receive leads us closer and closer. I'm going to close. Let me just ask you a couple of questions. What about you? What about me? Jesus. There's a real sense that we can go and be and do. And as much as there are things to be done and demands to be met and bills to be paid and people to see and talk to and all those things that accumulate in our life, what really does matter to you? Because I fight all that stuff to just want Jesus more. In our last prayer meeting, actually it was even in the um, leadership team meeting, Carolyn played a song and it, and it was a song that says, John the Baptist. He got it. I need to become less and you need to become greater. And I get a sense that Jesus is calling us back. Back to the heart of worship. Back to the heart of what it means to be a Christian. To be so in love with him. And out of that, the exact image of Jesus radiates. And then we wonder, are we meant to be leading people to the Lord? 
Maybe when they see Jesus in you, you don't have to lead anybody. They'll just say, I want what you've got. Maybe we've been doing it a little backwards. I'm just saying. I'm going to pray for you. Wherever you are right now, whatever the situation, whatever you're going through, whatever your struggle, whatever your pain, whatever your ache, whatever your bother, just, just hold it out right now. Just remember, whatever you focus on, whatever you, whatever's got you, has got you. And we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, release now those things that weigh us down. Those things that get in the way. Those things that stop us, me, being who you've called me to be. Why are there so many things that get my attention and distract me? And that frustrates me, that frustrates us in life. We're saying we want to come back and come back to what really matters. Because when we lift you up, not only do you draw men unto you, but you change things. That would take a hundred years, you can change in a minute. And so we invite you, we surrender, here it is. We hand all that stuff over and we yield to you. And may we live from that place of revelation, building on our relationship. And may we go from here rejoicing in Jesus' most wonderful name. Everyone said, Amen. God bless you.